0: your job as a leader isn't to inspire people. Your job as a leader actually is to create an inspiration platform and create an environment where other people are inspiring other people. Welcome to the Imperfectly Empowered Podcast with leading DIY lifestyle blogger Anna Fulmer, where women are inspired with authentic stories and practical strategies to reclaim their hearts and homes by empowering transformation. One imperfect day at a time.
1: Hello and welcome back to the Imperfectly Empowered Podcast. I am your host, Anna Fulmer. Today we have Aaron Hasakostas. On our show, Erin is an internationally recognized leader on the impact of authenticity in the workplace. At the age of 42, she became the CEO of a large healthcare financial institution in just three years. Just three years, she took the struggling company and led a massive turnaround, tripled earnings, sent employee engagement through the roof, and her secret: radical authenticity. This led to the foundation of her company, Be Authentic, Inc., where she's leading a movement to eradicate workplace BS by creating an authentic space. Erin is the best-selling author of You Do You-ish, right there, and the host of podcast Because with Erin and Nicole. She has been featured by ABC, CBS, Business Insider, Fast Company, and now it is my honor to have today on the show, Erin Hatsacostas, Aaron, welcome. Thank you. You nailed it. You yes, didn't even ask me how to say it.
0: Impressive.
1: <laughs> well, that's because I asked for phonetic spelling on the Google form.
0: Oh, that's right. You're good. That's good. right.
1: Work smarter, not harder. Mm-hmm. Um, Aaron, I met you at the Brand Builders Group application event for our friends listening. This is the brand strategist group that Aaron and I both use in order to learn how to grow our brands. And I got to know Aaron's personality really quickly because we learned early on that the entire event, event, I think, stemmed from your idea, meaning we need to create this place that we can network with each other. So there's some people that it takes a little while for you to figure out who they are, what they're about. And Aaron, it was instant. It was like, this girl is on fire. She is practical. And I absolutely loved that event. So thank you. I'm really glad I got to meet you there.
0: Well, you're welcome. <laughs> Thanks for the to, idea. You're <laughs> welcome. No, I have to correct you though. I hate to do this right out of the gate. It didn't stem from my idea. It stemmed from my complaint <laughs> more than anything.
1: Hey, and, same difference.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, in all honesty, it was more about like, here's what I'm missing. Yeah. And we sort of co created AJ and I together kind of talk through a concept like that. So I appreciate yeah. that. Yeah, I mean, it's a great example of sometimes you just have to like tell people where you're missing the gap. I was right. ready to walk away and instead we created something new. So,
1: and I get yeah, to meet you. Well, I love it. I have so many amazing people in that group and at that event. And I was so grateful too, because I think it's a perfect example of really what you are so good at because so much of the concept of radical authenticity is recognizing. The imperfect nature of who we are and embracing that and recognizing as much what we don't have as much as what we do in order to truly see transformation. One of my favorite quotes from your book, and for those of you watching via YouTube, this book right here, you say people respect authority, but they follow authenticity. And I'm wondering, was this philosophy something that you learned growing up or has it really stemmed from? your own life experiences later?
0: Yeah. So it's a little bit of both. In typical fashion, I put two and two together in my adult life. And then I looked backwards and went, oh, that's how I learned it. So starting from the beginning where it was really shaped and not as clear, but was from my father. So my father was a teacher for the first, I think, 25, 30 years of his life. And then he retired and became a real estate agent. And my dad would come home from teaching every night. So my mom was a teacher as well, but she'd talk closer. So she'd get home, she'd start making dinner and my dad would come home and he'd sit at the counter. He'd crack open, usually like a beer, have his Heineken and talk to my mom. And what most people do when they come home from work, not to generalize, but A lot of it's the complaints, like, oh, this went wrong, or this kid drove me crazy. And not that my dad was perfect, but what I remember the most was the stories he would tell constantly about just the shenanigans he would instigate, not the kids, the the way he would teach a lesson a little bit differently, the improv, the funny story he would tell. And very early on, and again, I saw all that, but I didn't really get how it connected into my success until later. He really showed me that not just you can be authentic, you can do it and it creates great success. And for him and teaching, that's not necessarily revenue, bottom line, promotions, but it's of course- connections with the kids and success and what he looked like to the other teachers as a successful teacher. And to this day, I say my dad still has quote unquote students that either he knows or that reconnect with him on Facebook, a lot of them are in their 50s. And it's so crazy. They remember not the facts and figures he taught them, but they remember the stories and the things that he did that were different that I really categorize as authenticity. So that's really the foundation of it. It wasn't until later in my career that I really started to realize I was doing it too. And that's what was creating my success.
1: How did you see that authenticity translate into the home? What was unique about his approach that maybe also translated in terms of parenting? Did you see a correlation there?
0: Yeah. I mean, first of all, Anybody that's really authentic, right? They're the same in every room. So my dad wasn't fun loving and different and unique and tell stories at school and then came home and was any different. I mean, he was the same with us. Right. And still to this day, I'm lucky still to have my father. He's 71. He still tells stories. He still is. Unique in his approach, he still is very authentic. So I think that seeing that he wasn't somebody different, whether it was when he was teaching or when he became kind of a businessman, that he was the same in every room, I think was really, really shaping and really important for me.
1: Mm. I love that too, because I think it's easy sometimes as a professional for men and women that you come home and it's almost like we have these two personalities. We're one person at work and then we come home and you're a completely different person with your spouse or with your kids. And I think that speaks to the whole concept of authenticity. Like you're saying is that it's, you are the same whether you're on the street or the grocery store or at work and at home.
0: Yeah. And now that my kids know everything I do mainly one, because I include them in my business. It's part of my philosophy, but two because Mm. COVID and quarantine, they've been around what I do even more than they would have. And they call me out on it if I'm Mm. not see, you know, every once in a while I had this incident, I was traveling for work. I, I was speaking at a conference and I remember coming back to the hotel room in a flurry to get my stuff packed up. And long story short, when I got home, I had lost my laptop. And as you can imagine, like that's my business, right? Not that most stuff isn't on the cloud and stuff, but I felt like, Oh my God, I have lost my business. And so I remember I called the hotel and they were sort of like, yeah, we'll look into it. We'll see if anybody found it. And of course I was just so amped up and so anxious about it. And um, I pressed them a little bit, let's just say. And, and authenticity isn't always being the main (laughs) guy. We'll talk about what really is authenticity, but I did press them a little bit, let's just say. And they were like, mom, you were really mean to them. And I can see like, they saw- Walk away,
1: children, walk away.
0: (laughs) Yeah, walk away. They saw a different me because they knew also- there wasn't really a reason for me to mean per se. I just was trying to get them to see the gravity of all. The funny part about that story is that I think it was later that night or even the next day, I went back up to my little carry-on suitcase that I hadn't fully unpacked. (laughs) And my laptop, this is the good news and the bad news, was sitting under some clothes, which I would never have expected to put it in there. So as you can imagine, I've never heard the end of that for my kids, both that I was, they thought I was mean and that in the end, <laughs> I had not clear the whole time. Uh, that is so
1: funny. How old are your kids? They're 13 and 10.
0: They're 13, 13. and 10.
1: Oh, so they're like really right at the age where that slow transition between, I'm sorry, are you 13 or 33?
0: Yeah, That's Totally. So and they, so I'll just tell you this story because of the name of your podcast and everything you stand yeah. for. Yeah, yeah. I knew you were doing your podcast when I had met you, but I didn't really know exactly the gist of it. And this concept of imperfection, I had to laugh. So Mick is my 10 year old and he is, he is me, basically. Usually when you have kids, like one is
1: one parent, yeah. one is I have just, one too. Yeah. Yep. Yeah.
0: Mick is me. And um, one day within the last year, so he was nine or 10 I'll never forget. He was actually out in the kitchen. He remembers where he was too. He was like making a bagel and I was sitting in the living room and I don't know what prompted it, but he said, mom, do you know what a, what a perfectionist is? I said, yeah, I do. He goes, you're an imperfectionist. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's basically what I do. So I just, I'm like, oh, I have to tell that story because I do so believe in this concept of imperfection. And in fact, I have his um, 50th anniversary. Well, he called it 50th. It was our 17th anniversary this summer. and And we had just had my parents 50th anniversary. We surprised them with a party this summer. So that was on his mind. So that's part of the reason he put 50 and crossed it out. And then on the inside, he says, I'll just read it. He says, I love you guys so much. And I hope, and then he crosses it out. I know You will make it to your 50th and we will surprise you just like Nana and Papa love your favorite son, Mick. And then here's the PS PS. I messed, which isn't spelled right, but that's okay. I messed up writing to be authentic and they get it. And, that's everything I stand for is that authenticity is beautiful and it's wonderful, but it's way more than a permission. It's actually a power. It's something that you purposely do to create connections and have that trust built and build intrigue. And you were talking about how I was impacted and now I just see it in my kids, right? Like he's literally using some of the techniques, I don't know if yeah, this is yeah. right, that I teach and preach in the things he does. And I think you're right. Like there's so much power and to really reflect on how we parent and how we were parented and those things come from. It's It's really powerful.
1: I'm curious when he says you're an imperfectionist, was there something that stimulated that statement like in the moment or what was his definition of an imperfectionist? I love that. That to him, that's a positive thing.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I think he's 10. He's in some ways knows the whole world and everything about it and all the vocabulary In other ways. He's still learning new words. I think it was more around he had learned what he had heard those words somewhere else. And I think it triggered in his brain like, oh, that's essentially what my mom does for a living. <laughs> <In perfectionism. laughs> my mom just screws up
1: for a living all the time. teaches <laughs> people how to screw up. Yep. So, then, you know, screw up them and love it. Days. Mm -hmm. Oh, that is so sweet. So when you're looking back over your years, whether it be parenting or in your professional career, I love hearing people's stories of speaking of imperfection when they've made a mistake, whether it be funny or serious. And then how did you see that become a learning experience where again, we celebrate these mistakes. We turn them into success stories. Can you think of a story, especially where you made a mistake, learned a lesson?
0: Oh God, so many of them. I'll give you two. The first, it isn't your classic mistake, but it really, I think demonstrates how this concept of authenticity is so important. But so I was new into my CEO role and we had this huge contract that needed to be renegotiated. Basically the company had been acquired years earlier by a larger parent company and the larger parent company overlords, i.e. procurement were like, This contract is rickety shickety. You need to renegotiate, right? It needs to have all the bells and whistles of Fortune 50 company. And it doesn't. But the challenge was, it was our largest vendor. They were a behemoth in the industry too. And essentially, they had told us the year before, yeah, fine, we can put it on, you know, more restrictive contract paper, but we're gonna have to charge you more. And at the time, our business was really treading water financially. And so it was just one of those things like we could not handle one single blip from a financial perspective. And so as soon as I became CEO, the phone rings, it's procurement. And I had heard about this untied issue and they're like, you need to go get this done. I had negotiated things in my life, but I was like, this is a big deal. Like this is a big con and it's not like I sat down and I was like, "Oh, let me go back on my negotiating 101, you know, right. <laughs> tutorial that they gave me, right? Like right. nobody says, you right, know, right. with my MBA, it's like, "Oh, that would've been a good class." And I remember initiating negotiation and it was me and the senior vice president from this company and typical kind of white older male glasses, like all the things you'd expect. So in my head, I'm like, this guy, he's negotiated a bazillion things. And I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> and I remember sitting down with him and just my natural instincts kicked in. And I just said to him, Hey, what's important to you in this negotiation? And I think he just didn't expect the question. So guess mm-hmm. what happens? You don't expect the question. You tell the truth, right? Because you have nothing planned. Mm-hmm. And so he kind of gave me some really critical information. So I knew it was important. So I knew that having a long-term contract was probably the most important thing based on some dynamics at their company. And then he sort of gave that question back to me. And I wasn't prepared for it either because again, I had like was shooting from the hip here and I just spewed out. I was like, well, our financials are struggling, but if I can get this negotiated well, I'll have a good shot at becoming the next CEO. Cause I was interim CEO at the time. That's what it was. Like I was that fake and CEO. Right. And as soon as it came out of my lips, I was like, oh my God, did I just really tell him like, this will be a badge of honor to get like a better position. And what ended up happening though, was that it actually propelled him. It, it was the thing he's like, I think we had formed a good relationship. He was like kind of pulling for me. I think there's something to be said for people wanting to help other people win And it ended up went from, and I know that doesn't sound like a big trip up, I'll give you another one. But what was so powerful about that is it was just yet another data point that I kept collecting and not realizing I was collecting. it. Authenticity always wins. We try so hard sometimes to be sharp and strategic, and we forget that we're just dealing with people. And so authenticity always wins. Let me give you another one that I tell also in the book that I think is really important for the leaders that are listening. So I became CEO, I did get the job of this company. And it really was kind of in rough shape. Financially, it was rough shape. Culturally, it just had been kind of through the ringer. In the first year, not only did we renegotiate that contract, another one, and we were starting to see all this momentum, my team was really energized. They were excited, like we all were getting along, nobody was fighting. So the first year happens and we do our first all employee survey.
1: Mm.
0: And so I have an organization of about a thousand people and I'm excited on it. Like all these things (laughs) I'm seeing people are so freaking happy. We're crushing it. Right. Like this is going to be my award. And so, which I have to
1: tell you, very few leaders are super excited about an employee survey. So let's just (laughs) pause right there for a
0: second. (laughs) Well, I no longer am ever again. Yeah. (laughs) And so, so these surveys come back and some of your leaders can probably appreciate this, especially if a big organization, it's like this thick packet because there's all the quantitative stuff and there's all the qualitative stuff, Mm -hmm. i.e. write-in stuff, right? Mm -hmm. In the notes and comments. And so I was like, I'm going to wait till I have a business trip, sit down, I'm going to go through this like good leaders do. I'm going to go through every single detail. So my assistant prints it out. I go on this business trip. I'm sitting in my seat and finally time to like whip out this thing. I start looking at it and I was like, I think they gave me the wrong one. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, go back. Check isn't my mine. Like, Does she print the wrong one? Or did they say? And well, I looked at the quantitative results and they had moved, but it was like a point here, a point there, because I'll show you, right, the delta from the year before. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. So I'm like, let me go back to the comments. Let me see how happy everybody is. And I start reading the comments and people were unhappy, right? Like, I mean, there was some positive stuff but most of that doesn't make it in there. And there was just piles and piles. And what I realized what I had been doing on was I had been relying on the fact, this was obviously the biggest organization I had ever led. I'm a pretty energizer bunny, inspiring person. And so I spent the first year running around inspiring people, right? Like my team, or I would go visit teams, but I would be in, then I would be out. And I was like this inspirational energizer bunny. And What I realized is when you get to that point, that's not going to work. And what I like to tell people is that your job as a leader isn't to inspire people. Your job as a leader actually is to create an inspiration platform. And what I mean by that is knowledge and not fancy stuff, but create an environment where other people are inspiring other people. Right. It's not on you. And so I had realized like I wasn't actually doing true leadership. I wasn't finding those opportunities to propel my leaders to set the stage for them to do things to inspire themselves. And so it was such a defining moment because I really thought I had leadership figured out, and none of us really do. But now it's like I apply that to everything. It's so easy to figure we can do it all, whether it's the work, which is 101, I had learned that 201 yeah. is, oh, I can't do all the work. But then also, it's really not possible for us to run out and inspire. And I think about what you and I do now in our businesses and this podcast and this movement that you're doing, right. It's the same thing. Like we want to inspire millions, but we're not going to do that from just us. We have to, create that platform, create a way where the people that are energized by us then are turning around and flying that wheel for other people as well.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And I think it's a similar concept to so many different areas of business and even different professions. I mean, I'll use my medical experience, but the fact is the best nurses are the ones who are empowered to make their own decisions. And as providers and as leadership, when we set up protocols, for the stroke program that I helped create, I had tried to create protocols that actually empowered the nurses to be the one to initiate decisions. Because in the end, as a leader, as the nurse practitioner, or as the physician, we wanted to empower them to make the call. And so that's an idea of educating. And it's, it is, it's kind of that ripple effect is you want to be the one that throws the pebble, but then ultimately those ripples are every layer of your business model and all the people involved. So I think that's, such a valuable takeaway, even for people who are stay at home moms, because these concepts are appropriate for all areas of life, including in our homes. So I love that. So one of the other questions that I love to ask is you've already accomplished so much reading your bio is like woman's been featured everywhere. You're amazing. But what is one goal that you hope to achieve yet in your lifetime? What's one thing that you want to do? It can be anything.
0: Oh, what a great question. I think for me, it's really about being seen as that true thought leader. Mm. And I hate to say it, but it's like making it to sort of the good morning America kind of stage, not yes. for the like, not for the credentials or for the like logo, but really f- that I know that the things that I'm teaching, the research, I've just started a research project that I'm doing, like it's so substantive and it's so groundbreaking because at the end of the day, I truly want to rewrite the workplace. That is my vision. There's so much BS. There's so much misery. And I think the reason I bring up that milestone is that hopefully that will be one indication that you can trace back a fundamental shift in the workplace, in leadership, in people, and how they're acting, and their happiness. And then ultimately, too, just the results that they're seeing because of the work I've done that I've done more than just sort of made a living in a new profession.
1: Right. Well, yours is much better than mine. Mine is to create a hands-free page turner for my book that I can attach to my lounger (laughs) at the beach.
0: (laughs) I love it. I I like your answer.
1: Yeah, Um, a lot better. But I want to relax. I don't want to hold a book above my head. My arms fall asleep. Anyway, you're
0: first world problems. I know, girl. First world problems. I love that goal though. Well listen,
1: stay tuned. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to do a fun speed round of this or that with Aaron, and we're going to learn the why and the how to becoming a more authentic person right after the short break, save time, get practical inspiration delivered to your inbox every month with exclusive access to the premier digital women's health and home magazine. For just $14.99 a month, you will get delicious and nutritious recipes, essential cleaning and organization hacks, must have product recommendations, helpful fashion ideas, practical DIY tutorials, creative fun for kids, home decor inspiration, stress free entertaining tips. Evidence-based health and wellness advice, productivity challenges with prizes, exclusive access to upcoming Imperfectly Empowered podcast guests, and exclusive access to bonus printables and templates on podcast show notes, giveaways, and so much more with this exclusive membership, the Imperfectly Empowered Journal. Reclaim your heart and home with a digital health and home magazine full of practical strategies you can actually use. Want to try an issue for free? Visit www.hammersandhugs.com and click on the Imperfectly Empowered Journal tab to sign up for a free issue of the Imperfectly Empowered Journal today. We are back with Aaron Hatsakostis. We are going to do a speed round of this or that. There are two options and uh, whatever comes to your mind, you don't have to overthink of it. All those Please. Oh wait, you're
0: giving me Alcohol. An- <laughs> yes.
1: Okay. Well, starting with food, pasta or bread, pasta, Ellen or Oprah, Oprah ninjas or pirates ninjas. Yeah. Okay. The toilet paper roll marriages over, a hard hard over, this over,
0: question. over. <laughs> that's not a question.
1: Next. not a question. That's a fact.
0: <laughs> that's a fact candy or baked goods. Oh gosh. <sighs> baked good. Cause chocolate chip cookies are like literally the thing I could eat for the rest of my life and be happy.
1: I agree. Dress or pantsuit dress laundry or dishes laundry. Mm.
0: Sure. I don't yeah, mind laundry. I, I, I sit on my butt and fold it. It's easy. The dishwasher. Okay. Let's switch.
1: <laughs> water skiing or scuba diving, skiing, run in the woods or lift in the gym, run in the woods. Okay, this last one. Men and women all across the world have lost sleep contemplating this question: Captain America or Thor?
0: Thor. I have to go with Thor. I got to be honest, I don't follow those very much, but I think he's like handsome, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a big
1: superhero kind of, but Thor sounds pretty hunky. Wait, do you know who Chris Hemsworth is?
0: Yes, yeah, so is that him? Yeah, yeah, he's that's hot.
1: Thor. That's yeah, Thor. Thor. Yeah, I love that. Oh, Thor, no question. from <laughs> Australia.
0: All right. Well,
1: now that we've gotten the important things over with here. One of the things that I love when I was reading your bio, you mentioned how one of your missions is to eliminate BS in the workplace with radical authenticity and you've seen how that has improved outcomes. One of the challenges I think so often, not even just in the workplace but in our lives is right, we have to recognize the problem. Like you can't make a change until you even understand that there is a problem in yeah. your experience. Can you give me some examples of workplace BS? Because there might be some people who don't even realize that this is BS. So what types of things wow. would you say are workplace BS inhibiting that authenticity?
0: Well, yeah. And I'll actually tell us a story here on kind of how I woke to it. And then I can throw a whole potpourri of BS <laughs> things, but let me frame it this way on so actually, back before I became CEO, spoiler alert, but one Friday, I was actually leading strategy, business development, marketing or something for this company. So I had a team of about 10, 12 people. I was doing pretty well, not a high stress job, but my boss came to me. It was a Friday afternoon, of course. And he was like, can we talk? And I'm like, oh God, what do we need to talk about on Friday afternoon? And he gets on and he says, well, this is a little heavy for Friday, but I've decided to leave the company. And I want to know if it's okay if I recommend you as our next COO. And I thought for about a hot second and I replied, no, thank you. And what was going on in my head is something I now call the compromise calculation. In literally like five seconds, I ran a calculation that probably a lot of your listeners have run and don't realize it. And it looks like a graph, which it's going to be like opposite here, but on one axis. I thought about my family, my husband, my health, and really kind of who I was as a person. The other access was my career. And in my head, it was like this line that goes downwards, meaning there's an anti-correlation that every step I was going to have to take in my career, I was going to have to compromise on those other things. And what it meant in practicality, I was literally like, when he said that, I was like, okay, i probably, I would make more money and obviously have more authority, but I'd have to come down on these other things. And I sort of was like, I'm good where I'm at. And of course, we talked it through a little bit. It was a Friday. So we ended up saying, okay, let me think about it over the weekend. And as I thought about it over the weekend, it wasn't that I had imposter syndrome. It wasn't that I didn't think all the stuff, quite frankly, that I feel like we talk about at 95% of like women's conferences is like confidence. Yeah, I didn't know everything, but I knew I could do the job. It wasn't those sort of traditional things and had the network within the larger organization, a really strong network. Instead, what I was worried about was this compromise and also that I was going to have to fit into this mold, this sort of club that I would have to enter into. Cause it was sort of next step, right? It was C-suite executive sort of level. Yeah. And I talk about my Ted talk. I was worried my ego would grow. My calendar would overflow. My home life would become a shit show.
1: Your cars would get more expensive. (laughs)
0: <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And I was also worried that my personality might start to blow, as I say. And what I mean by that is that I was worried that I was going to have to become somebody I wasn't, that I was going to have to sacrifice and compromise. And then it hit me. And what hit me so hard, and it just keeps hitting me over and over and over again, when I wrote my book, when I did with my TED talk, all the things, you shouldn't not do something because you hate the way it was done before. Instead, you can do it your own way. And essentially to answer your question, like I wasn't worried about the substantive things that we talk so much about. I was Mm -hmm. actually worried about more BS. I was worried about having to get caught up in the politics. I was worried about having to be on the road all the time. I was worried about all these things that in my head were just, it came with the job. And when I sat back, I thought about it. I thought, What if I just do it differently? What if my head of sales does more of the traveling and I just am picky about it? What if I don't start to act like a hoity-toity and put my face on the top of the corporate communications and have my corporate comm guy, I write it because I tried that and it didn't work. I literally couldn't even redline it. I was like, I don't know what you're <laughs> saying, Ian. I literally don't even know what this says. I can't put it out as me. Like, What if I became the leader that everybody wanted to work for because I wasn't pretentious, that I was approachable, that I didn't pretend I was bigger than I was. And so when I talk about the BS, it's things like this. It's the positioning and the jockeying. It's the bazillion PowerPoints that then you go into a meeting and they're like, well, we're not going to do a page turn, even though your team's just like been up every night till midnight redoing the font. It's the corporate communications that nobody freaking reads because they can't understand what they say. They don't talk from the heart. They don't tell stories. They literally check the box. It's the pretending, it's the matrix and the, the people that have to sign off just because their position says it's all that stuff that the analogy I give is it's like when you're getting ready for Christmas and you're all excited to decorate. I'm sure your house looks amazing, by the way, annoying because you're so good. Oh, I
1: have not put up uh, a single Christmas decoration <laughs> yet. So don't worry.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the boxes are coming. <laughs> I'm sure. Well, send me pictures. I'll basically copy everything you do. I'll put it on the blog. Do it but you get out the lights, right? You're so excited. This is the same at work. You're so excited to like go save the world, whatever your mission statement is, or whatever your job is to get results. And then you go to put the lights out, right? And you get them out the box and they're freaking tangled and you can't figure out where the beginning is. And you're like, you just can't figure out how to like get from A to B it should be this beautiful moment and this exciting thing. And that's so much of what the workplace is. And so much of why I think we don't have the best leaders because I think the best leaders, a lot of them are opting down because they're like, "Mm, yeah, no, I'm good where I'm at because I don't want to deal with the Christmas lights and the BS and the politics and all the other stuff that isn't the real work.
1: I think so much of it too is the concept of just quality over quantity. I mean, there are so many, you talk about the extra communications that we don't need and nobody reads anyway. It's that concept of almost creating a culture where people want to listen in the first time, as opposed to knowing that you have sent out the same communication four times. I feel like I'm less likely to read it at all because it's saying the same thing over and over again, as opposed to just a shorter, more pointed. Yeah. You miss it. You miss it. (laughs) you know, like, yeah, absolutely. That quality of a quantity concept. It's
0: all those things. I mean, the OKRs, right? Like everybody's like, are we going to have our objectives? And I don't even know what they all stand for, right? Your goals and your blah, blah, blah. And I just found that all that stuff was waste. And one year we did planning for the next year. And all I wanted my leaders to do was come up with one obsession that rolled up to the top, just one thing they obsessed on instead of, a 252 page or line spreadsheet with all the stuff they're going to do that half's not going to get done because other things are going to come in the way. And I just think that it's been piled on top of piled on top of piled. And that's what authenticity is. Authenticity is so much richer than just simply be yourself it's making those trade-offs. It's bucking the norm. It's calling out the BS. It's taking a lead and saying, this doesn't work anymore, whether it's how you act or what you do. And we just need millions of people to start doing that.
1: I love that. And I think it also, trust is a big thing that's mentioned a lot in your book. And I love the Harvard study here. I've written down where companies with higher levels of trust have 74% less stress, 50% higher productivity, and 76% Higher employee engagement. And again, to use my experience in medicine, I think this is absolutely true. And what you're speaking to all ties into this idea of if you can communicate something one time and really create that buy in, and then you are asking your employees to communicate one thing that Mm -hmm. they really want to see happen, it is that idea of, again, the quality over quantity, but then ultimately allowing people to think outside the box and trust them, then trust their ideas and see how they pan out. I love that it's not just about being yourself. It's about thinking outside of the box and being able to shatter what is considered the norm. It's more proactive, I guess, is where I'm going. I think your definition of authenticity is to be proactive, not just simply be yourself.
0: (laughs) Exactly. And I always say it's not a permission, it's a power. It's not an adjective, it's an action verb. That's why when I talk about authenticity, I actually call it strategic authenticity because it is about the six principles that I talk about, which are humility, being unexpected, modeling, adapting, narrating, and sparking. But each of those, you are consciously and purposely doing it. And the reason you have to consciously and purposely do it because it's just a lot of it's not the norm in the workplace today. So for example, unexpected being one of the principles to your point about trust And the one-time thing, just to give your listeners some tangibility, the second principle is being unexpected. And there's a reason for that because what happens in the brain, there's something called the surprise sequence. And what happens when we're not unexpected, when we just go around, we do the corporate comms like expected, we do the PowerPoint presentations like expected, when we just check the box, when we try to fit in, people check out, right? But what happens when you purposely are unexpected, when you look at and say, okay, I bet you people are really bored with, we always start with the same like financial slide at our town hall. What happens when you're unexpected, when you change that out, there's something that triggers in your brain called the surprise sequence, which it's almost a fight or flight, right? It's like, if my son jumped out of the closet, when I leave this podcast and scared the crap out of me, guess what's going to happen every time I go out of my office, I'm going to be paying a lot more attention, right? And the same happens and that triggers all of these hormones in your brain that include the oxytocin that helps you with trust. And so, yeah, it is a purposeful thing. It is thinking about what is the norm and not doing, for example, unexpected things just to be like, Ooh, look at me. I'm so different. Like you're doing it purposely for others. It's like your gift to others. Like I know this is what we should do and this feels safe, but I'm going to do something different so that you can wake up and be surprised and be intrigued. And then most importantly, you can listen and remember what I had to say, which means it all comes back to you in the end.
1: Yeah. I think where this realistically is so hard is those mid-level managers where they want to try something different, but they're not empowered by the top in order to be that creative, authentic change. And that's why I love what you do because you're targeting people at all stages, but especially like those top tier, the CEOs and the COOs and people who are the trickle-down effect is we desperately need people in those positions who are willing to empower the mid-level where in my case, it's the unit managers. I mean, talk about one of the most difficult positions in medicine is that mid-level Manager who have to work under this person, they have to work under that person, and their hands are tied. So I love yeah. what you're saying. Is
0: so I want to give a message to everybody listening on that though. I mean, here's the reality yes, it's a thousand times easier if it's the person at the top or the people at the top. The reality I tell people all the time though, when I was the CEO for a thousand person company, I got almost all of my inspiration from the people below me, I didn't mm-hmm. get it from the people above. And most importantly, At the end of the day, executives or people above you. Yeah. At first, if you start to do things a little bit differently, they might think you're a little odd. That's what happened when I took over. My boss was very stodgy and she was like, kind of like, okay, like if you think that's going to work, but here's what's important. At the end of the day, all they care about really are results. So if you have the guts you know, the way I put it is like, put your toe over the edge for a little bit, right? Like to do things a little bit differently. Maybe it's not to be going into meetings as pompous. And maybe you have some silly story at the tell at the beginning or whatever it is from the authenticity playbook that you create. The reality is all you have to do it is for a little bit. And then once you start to get the results, guess what? A, not only people don't care, right? Because they're like, oh, but your business is doing well, whatever those metrics are, right? You're getting the sales or you're saving patients or whatever it is. And then also the second thing that usually will happen is they're going to be curious. They're going to be like, wait a minute, what are they doing? Like, I'm curious. Like how did they all of a sudden, like sales are up 30% quarter over quarter. We've never seen that. Like, what are they doing? And they'll be inspired by you as well. So Perfect is from the top, but I always tell people, do not sit around waiting for somebody above you to hand this thing to you. Inspiration is a circular reference and it can start everywhere and spread like wildfire.
1: What is the most practical way for somebody to start doing authenticity, not just being authentic, but doing authenticity? What's the most practical way for someone to start?
0: Yeah. I always say I don't change people. I change their addictions. And so it's about experimenting and then like watching the results and then doing something else. And in that vein, in that metaphor, I'm like my gateway drug that works for so many people. It's super silly. I actually stopped talking about it for a little bit and I get so many notes that people are like, I changed it. It's great. So my gateway drug to answer your question, my simple starter kit, change your out of office. If you're like 99% of people, you're out of office, says something like, I won't be out of the office. I will get back to you as soon as I can. I may be delayed in responding, right? Like the same thing you've probably been saying for the last 20 years, change it to talk like a human, you know, I'm getting away for a long extended weekend, needed a break. I'll get back to you on Monday. Or I used to do it even when I was traveling, right? Going to visit my favorite customer because I knew they would write me. So I'm like, oh, get bonus points. <laughs> But think about it. It's like the biggest missed opportunity to make people read it. And what I have found time and time again, and from all the messages and people telling me about it, it just lights this thing because they start to just see that little like, oh, so and so wrote me back with my out of office. and we're like, I love that. Or it could even be they start to notice that other people do it. So I just find that that's like just to spend this tried and tested gateway drug into you know, starting to crack the authenticity barrier at work.
1: It sounds like it's really just this concept of show more of your humanity. <laughs> I mean, kind of allow not just who you are but then take that personality and authentically do something and change something that you've been doing that is more along the norm and infuse more of who you are into it in a way that people can actually see and respond to.
0: Yeah, I mean, my uh, definition outside of the framework. My definition is authenticity is exposing who you are when people least expect it, and that least expect it part is just as important as the exposing. So I think if you can think of it in that terms, it's, that's exactly what it is.
1: Yeah, I wanted to rewind for a second. You mentioned that compromise chart, that that vertical axis, and then the horizontal axis with this idea that I think so many of us struggle with the concept of if I grow my professional career, if I become more successful in my professional career, then the inverse outcome is that my family life or my home life will suffer. So it's like success here equals some suffering here. And what I am curious to hear from your experience is I'm hearing what you're saying that we want to do it in tandem. It doesn't have to be all or nothing. It doesn't have to be an inverse relationship. You can Mm -hmm. succeed at home as well as professionally. And some of that has to do with that authenticity and being more creative and sort of forging your own path. That being said, have you any advice from your own experience in When you start to see those scales become a little imbalanced, because I'll be the first one to admit, I have absolutely had times in my life where I've done that really poorly. I have solely focused on my professional success and I see my home life not doing as well. And the first relationship that goes always the one with my husband. Like we talk Mm -hmm. about it all the time. Zach and I are like, when it really comes down to it, you and I are the ones that suffer first because we'll bend over backwards for our kids. Yep. Have you found ways to kind of diagnose the early warning signs that maybe the scales are becoming a little imbalanced or you're starting to see that inverse relationship? It doesn't have to be that way, but it does happen. How do you nip that in the bud quickly and kind of bring the scales back to balance or create that parallel success again?
0: Yeah. I mean, I don't have a magic formula for identifying. I think for everybody it's different for me, for example, in my current entrepreneurial role, part of the way I do that, like I actually just had this happen last night. Perfect example. This is just a really small example, but I had a bunch of work to do. My son's actually home quarantining because he got exposed to a hockey teammate that was positive. And so he's home with me, which is always fun, right? I'm juggling. <laughs> and I You're had- You're sweet. I didn't think it was fun at all. I'm like, wait, <laughs> it's, what? This is easy. my time. Go back to school. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's not easy. But here's a good example. So I had to run him out to get tested. Then I had to run his sister for an ortho appointment. I came back. I said, I need like an hour and a half or so to work, right? Let me work till 4.35 four 30 or five. And then, because he was just yearning, I'm like his only playmate. His sister wants nothing to do with him, and he can't hang out with friends. So I told him, okay, I'll be done around four 30. And so I was working on this stuff. I was getting a bunch of stuff gathered for a company that I'm working with. And I could tell, wow, this is going to take longer than I thought. Right. We always have that. We get into it. Right. And so he comes in and he's sort of over my shoulder and you almost done. I said, yeah, can you just give me, and then I realized I mean, first of all, he knows my business inside and out, as I mentioned, he could probably recite half the things I talk about. I was working on, just to give you specifics, I'm I'm submitting a bunch of information to a speakers bureau that I'm working with. And we're gathering all this information. And he was sitting here and I said, wait a minute, let me ask you this. And so there were things like I had to describe myself in three words. So I asked him, I got him involved. And he oh, I had a couple words. And then he's like, you know, you always kind of have a different point of view. You need a word for that. And I was like, oh, that's good. And then earlier today, I got a video from one of the women that's on my team and she was trying to explain something. And she said in it, and he's sitting in the office, he said, Well, like Mick told you, I know before we probably shouldn't send them out to YouTube because what happens when we send them to YouTube instead of embedding the video is then they get hooked on other YouTube stuff and they never come back, which is something Mick told me like a year ago and his face just lit up. And so I tell you this because sometimes it's like this, where you have the same amount of work, but sometimes it's just as simple as like, bringing them into it. I will tell you when I started out in this entrepreneurial journey a couple of years ago and left my corporate job, I've always thought that like, I'm meant to be on stages. Like if you ask me, what's the one thing, if you could do it all the time, I would be like, it's speaking. I'd lit up. I love interacting. Like that's where I'm natural, but what comes with speaking travel, right. Mm-hmm. And how balancing having children and a husband travel and But here's the thing, two things have happened. One, the pandemic, actually, I think, after we get out of this, I'm probably going to do half my speaking probably will be in person and another half still might be virtual. So it's like, don't give up on something just because you think you can't have the balance that you need. But I also made a pledge to the kids each year they get to come to one of my talks. And so I'm going to San Diego next month. And my daughter won that one because it's a women's coach. Oh,
1: love. Yeah. Can I sign up for that one? (laughs) Your
0: daughter can wait. I'll come with you. (laughs) Nick was pretty upset, although he's lobbying for Nashville in March and he's already looked up like what the Predators schedule is, the hockey team there. But I bring that Anna because it's not just that twice a year they get to go with me and I get to have them by my side and we get to have more balance. Right it's also changes their perspective on how they think about me getting more jobs, more gigs. Right. So Mm -hmm. if that weren't the case, every time I said, Oh, I just got hired for another speaking gig. How do you think my kids would feel? Oh, well, it means you're going to be gone for a couple of days again. When is it? How long are you going to be gone? Right. All the questions that the moms get and the dad's get. but because I've integrated them into this process Even if they're not going to that one, like they feel it and they see it in a different way because I've integrated it. So that's why the answer to your question is not an easy one. There's a lot of moving parts to how do we find this? But I've found that one of the words, the phrases I talk about and I live by, it's like, we need to spend less time saying the words our kids need to hear and more time demonstrating the life we want to live. And that's what Mm -hmm. I live by. Like, I never know. Do I want them to have a life of being a workaholic? Absolutely not but do I want them to have great success? Do I want them to jump on a plane when they have a big opportunity to go light up a room? Yes. And so I think it's really all about sort of reframing and this concept of you shouldn't not do something because you hate the way you did it before, like figure out how you can do it differently and you can have the end. Yeah. Do I have like the longest winded answers of any guest you've had?
1: (laughs) No, absolutely. You're like, absolutely not. Listen, (laughs) Something isn't too long as long as it's interesting and you have nailed it. I'm hanging off of everything. And I absolutely love how you're combining the concept of the benefits of authenticity at work as well as at home. I loved that part of your book because the fact is at the end of the day, I think all of us would agree that the relationships that are the most meaningful to us more than anything professionally is the relationships that we have at home. And I like how you're making it. It's not an either or. It's an and, and Mm -hmm. how we can really thrive in all of those arenas, whether it be at work and at home, and it doesn't have to be two separate people. So one, people need to read your book. You do. It is quite the read. It is unique. I love how you started out by saying that I hate books. (laughs) That's that's a great (laughs) book to pick up, people. If it starts by (laughs) saying I hate books, then you probably want to read to the end because it's authenticity at its finest there. But then you also offer a boot camp. Mm. Is that correct? You offer an authenticity boot camp. And the link to this boot camp is going to be on my blog at hammersandhugs.com. And all of the links to Aaron's things will be there. But tell us a little bit about this free career boot camp. What will somebody get out of this?
0: So actually two things. I have an authenticity playbook. And then I have like a career boot camp. So I think what we're going to offer is the authenticity playbook. Where we can offer both of them. But I love the okay. authenticity boot camp. Maybe that's my next development. I've got some stuff in the works. So I have an authenticity playbook. The authenticity playbook just gives you ten starter plays. Like you asked about the out of office is one of them, but what are some tangible things that you can just start doing today to change the game and start using authenticity as your new secret weapon for success? So that's a fun digital asset. And then let's also put on there, if you don't mind, then I also have for people that are a little more like I'm stuck slash miserable and I need a change. And I'm sure there's a couple people out there that feel like that. I have something called Unstuck Yourself, which is sort of a career boot camp. It's a four video course for free that walks you through kind of the different steps to take to get unstuck. And what I always do. And the feedback I hear is I talk about the normal things in an normal way. So there's just a slight twist on how to frame what you're thinking in terms of maybe making a career change or finding a new job, or maybe even just getting a promotion within the company you're in. And so that's my unstuck yourself course, which I'm happy to share that as well for those that are. I think more.
1: that's what I was calling yeah. the boot camp.
0: Okay. That's
1: so okay. I'm <laughs>
0: What you Don't will. worry,
1: guys. There's no exercise involved with this. Don't hesitate <laughs> to look at this. All right. She's not going to make you do push-ups, just uh maybe some mental yep. ones. Yeah. Yeah. I think so many people right now with COVID, especially, need to look at this because many of us made a career change because we felt stuck and we felt frustrated. And that is the reality. So absolutely visit hammersandhugs.com to check out these amazing offerings from Erin Hatsacostas. I just want to end with this. This is what stuck out to me the most. We talked a lot about kids. And I just think that this translates into professional life, home life, et cetera. But in your chapter 12, that is titled Sucky Song Number 1, by the way, like I said, she hates books. So (laughs) she wrote like somebody who hates books. You will love reading this book. But you talk about how we're waiting too long to infuse certain principles into our lives for the sake Mm -hmm. of our children. So if for nothing else, whether or not you are a professional career woman or you're a professional mom at home, either way, I just want to read this. Erin says, have you been to a high school graduation recently? Well, it doesn't even matter. Most speeches have been saying the same thing for the past century. Follow your dreams. Be bold. Take risks. Dream big. The sky's the limit. Make change why do we wait until our children are 18 years old to give them this message? Why can't we give them this message earlier in life and better still? Why don't we show them what they can be and how they can live a full life? Great parents don't suffocate. They demonstrate great leaders don't suffocate. They demonstrate. I think just in general, what you are saying is ultimately be authentic, do authenticity in your life, which aligns beautifully with what I am so passionate here, which is to ultimately empower transformation with imperfection, with authenticity, to really get the life that you want. And most importantly, to inspire and create that platform for everybody around you to live out their most authentic life as well. Erin, it was an honor to have you on here and to share your story. I'm so blessed. And I pray that God's blessing over your heart and home and your career. And we will see you one day on Good Morning America. I know.
0: Yeah. It. <laughs> I think you'll be right next to me. So thank you so much for having me and I sharing me with your audience mm-hmm. and all the success that I know you're going to have and create for others too. So thank you.
1: Thanks. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of the Imperfectly Empowered Podcast. It is my honor to be here with you. I am so grateful for each and every one of you. If you are watching on YouTube, be sure to click the subscribe button below so you don't miss a show and leave a comment with your thoughts from today's episode below. If you are listening via your preferred podcasting platform, would you help keep us on the air by rating our show and leaving an honest review of your thoughts from today? In case you haven't heard it lately, your story matters and you are loved. This is your host, Anna Fulmer, and I will see you here next time on the Imperfectly Empowered Podcast.